you guys to week 13 of our sermon series, Tattoo My Soul. Today, um, I want to remind us of where this sermon series comes from, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Write my words on your heart and in your soul. God says, do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Read my words, write my words, turn my words into art. Put my words all over your life. Talk about them. Teach them to others. If you do, I will bless you. If you are needing, if you are desiring a reminder that God is so real, that he loves you so much, that he is living and active, read these words. Do your best to remember these words. Man, if you really want, walk these words out. And he's going to bless you in ways that you're going to not be able to say, oh, he's real. Like, you will know beyond knowing. And all it takes is a little step of faith of reading this book every day and then doing your best to remember it and do what it says. So, one of the ways that I personally like to remember God's words, something I talked to him about extensively after I was 18 and got confirmation from him on was to tattoo his words literally on my body. So on my right and now left wrist, I got one there. I read God's word every year around December or January specifically for the purpose, God, you know what's coming in the year that's about to happen. In January of 2020, when the new year rolls over, I'll sit down with him just like I have for the last 12 and say, you know what's about to happen. You know where I need to grow. You, need, you know what, what I'm going to wrestle with. You know the conflict and the, the strife that I'm going to face this year. Would you give me one scripture that I can hang on to all year long, that I can walk out all year long, that will help me grow closer to you, become more of who you made me to be, that will help me overcome whatever obstacles you know are in front of me. And every year that I do that, he gives me the perfect scripture for the year. And last week, we talked about how God gave me in 2012, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, all about waiting. And when I was asking for examples of the kind of thing that we wait for in this life, many of you, during and after the sermon, said, "Um, I'm waiting to, to find out who the one is. I'm waiting to find out who... Um, I should marry who I should love, and I felt like maybe we need to talk about that today. How do we recognize the one, and why do we need to wait for him or her? To get us started, I want to have some back and forth. Um, Raise your hand. Do, Do you want to get married ever? Okay, so like seven of you, good. Um, Great for you. Raise your hand if you would ever like to have sex in this life. Three of you. Okay. Know that if you desire to have sex in this life, marriage should come first. Marriage is God's boundaries. It's his blessing for where our sexual relationships should exist. Nowhere outside of them, only inside of them. So if you do desire, those three of you, four, I'm in there too, desire sex in life, you should get married first. Now, that it's awkward, let me ask a lighter question. I'll go with the guys first. Guys, tell me something about your perfect girl. Do you have an idea of what you want to see in that perfect girl, whether it's a physical, emotional, or spiritual attribute? I need some leaders in here, men, to share one example of what do you look for in a girl. Sam. Someone who gets your sense of humor. That's hugely important. 
I've had dating relationships where they didn't get my sense of humor. There's a lot of awkwardness. Who else? I saw a hand over here. What do you look for in a girl? Yes, sir. An honest person to be in a relationship with. Excellent answer. You want to be in a dating relationship, eventually marriage relationship, with someone that's honest, who you can trust, right? Who else? Guys, what do you look for in a relationship? They need to have a relationship with God. What an appropriate thing to say for this sermon, my friend. You guys, if you've given your life to Jesus, you should look for someone who has also made that decision. The most important decision in your life is deciding to choose Jesus Christ. The second most important decision that you make in this life is who you spend the rest of that life with. You better aim for that person if you've made that decision, having also made that decision it's going to get rough. Anybody else? Guys, what do you look for in a woman? She's got to cook. That's my boy. I used to have that on my list. You might be surprised, ladies. I'm, you're probably not. The guy needs to know how to cook too. Amen? Amen. All right. One, one or two more from the guys. What do you look for in a girl? Anybody? No? That's all right. Ladies, same question. What do you look for in a guy? I see a hand in the back. Emma. Someone who supports her. Someone who will stand up for her when she is saying, this is what I want to do with my life. And they're like, yes, absolutely. I'm all for that. Right here. Someone who's kind, absolutely. I don't care how hot she or he is. If they're not kind, it's going to get old quick, you know. The factor will diminish if the person you partner yourself with is a jerk. Hand in the back. A gentleman, absolutely. And for us, a lady. It's so important that, you guys, we treat each other with kindness and with manners in a relationship, especially one that's going to last potentially decades. Yes, ma'am. Someone who leads you on the right path. You guys, the Bible says that man and woman, one's not better than the other. We are helpmates. We are partners. And so we're both leading at time. Now, the Bible is clear that the man has the responsibility to lead, but you want somebody that's going to lead you well, that's going to lead you in the right direction. That's huge. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Yes, ma'am. Someone who's funny. Absolutely. Life is hard. Babies are messy. You need to be able to joke about it before you go to bed or you're going to like freak out. Take it from me. I know. Let's do one or two more. Somebody who respects not only who you are but the choices that you make. I've been married for going on 14 years. Brooke has not always agreed with me, but she's always respected my decisions, and I hope that she could say the same for me going towards her, but respect is huge in marriage. Last one. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Nobody said that last service, and I'm so glad that you did. Someone that's not just understanding, but forgiving. Uh, You could be the perfect husband or wife in this world, like right up there, not Jesus, but close to you're still going to disappoint your spouse. You are still going to make mistakes because we're people and you need to be understanding and forgiving. Forgiveness, most powerful thing you can do in this life, forgive somebody. All right, so moving right along, why? 
Why do you want to get married? Give me just three or four answers. Why do you want to have somebody else in your life for the rest of your life? Anybody? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we're not alone in life, right? Adam was alone in the garden. And what did God say? It's not good for him to be alone. Eve, that's how it started. Somebody who'll keep you stable. We live in a crazy time. Left to our own, we could easily just go way off left or right. And that person that you're with can help keep you grounded as you help keep them grounded. One more, two more. Yes, sir. Babies and fun. Who knows what he might be in my fun? I know what you mean. But absolutely, God also said multiply. And that happens in marriage. One more. Anybody? You guys, when I say one more and you scratch your head, just know it's very tempting to call on you. You scratched your head. You got one more? She's like, I didn't scratch my head. You're crazy. You scratched your head. Yes. Oh, what a great answer. To spend the rest of your life with your best friend. You guys, you want to know who to marry? Make sure they're your friend. Make sure you get along. Make sure you enjoy each other. So when I was your age and for the next maybe decade, I had my list, right? These are the things I'm looking for. It was long. It was detailed. I didn't actually have it written, but it was there. I had a list. And over the years, that list would get shorter and shorter as I'm like, why am I alone? Where's the perfect girl? They, they don't, they're not measuring up, like, okay, half of it, but what about the other half? And as I became a believer, and as I got to know Jesus and got to know who I really was in my late 20s, when I was about 30 years old, I realized that my list had been whittled down to one thing. The only thing on my list, and I remember this clear as day, it just occurred to me, I just want somebody that will worship Jesus with me. That's all I need, God. I just want someone that loves Jesus the way that I do and that will worship with me. I literally had a picture of myself and somebody singing in church. I was like, that's all I want. And when I finally got there, it was within the next year, within the next 12 months that I met my wife. Not before then, after then. I want to share two things with you guys about why we wait for love when it comes to Scripture. Just two, not the only two, but just two for this morning. The first one comes from the book of Songs, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. This verse that I'm going to read to you occurs in chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4. When God repeats himself, you should take note. And here's what God says three times in this book. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. There's 7 billion people on planet Earth right now, you guys. If you are looking for love, I guarantee you're going to find it. But it probably not with that one in 7 billion person that God has for you. So do not awaken love until the time is right. It's addressed to the women, but men, do not force her to awaken love until the time is right. We are God's kids. God gives good gifts. He doesn't want a good girlfriend or a good spouse for you. He wants to give you the best. So do not awaken love until the time is right. And he's the God of the right time and the right place and the right person just for you. Second reason why we wait that we're going to talk about real quick is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be 
unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't become partners with those who reject God. What does it mean to be yoked? A yoke is a forming instrument. It's a forming phrase where you take two equally strong cows and you yoke them together with this piece of wood, which is called a yoke, so they can accomplish more than they would if they were alone. I need two volunteers. I think I'm just going to go ahead and pick them. I want Emma Goodall and a Abube to come to the front right now. Emma and Abube. Is Abube in the room? Emma, come to the front. Abube, come hither. All right. Abube on my left. Emma on my right. I was antiquing a while ago, and I found this legit awesome yoke. It is like 100 pounds. I don't know, maybe 50 pounds. It's real heavy. And this was used on a farm somewhere in the exact same fashion as that picture on screen. Um, it has these super sharp hooks, so please be careful. It's got these little neck spots for your neck spots. I want you to stand in front of me right in the middle so that I can place this on your neck. And can you stand up a little? No? All right. And on your neck. You're going to lean forward. And you can use your hands to support it because if it falls, it could like tear you up. You're just going to use one hand? It's so strong. All right. Does this look like they are equally or unequally yoked? Unequally, right? Oh, my goodness. He's not very nice gentleman. All right. So, in Scripture, when it says, do not be yoked with an unbeliever, it's not because unbelievers are bad people. We were all unbelievers. Some of you in this room may still be unbelievers. God's not judging you. But he knows he has a plan for our life. And if one of us, let's say Miss Emma, has given her whole life to Jesus Christ, and then she yokes herself to mean a boobay that's like, stand up, woman. <laughs> it's going to be a little difficult for them to follow God's plan for their life when they're unequally yoked. But this actually isn't a really perfect expression of this picture. To be unequally yoked when it comes to yoking yourself with an unbeliever, a boobay, face me. Ha, ha. ha, you're so clever. All right. Use your hand. That's my boy. This is a better picture of what it means for a believer facing Jesus, spending their life pursuing his love for them and his goodwill for them, is yoked with someone who's like, I don't want anything to do with God. Now, if you would, please like go 45 or 90 degrees. I'm not going to mess. Stand up, woman. <laughs> Look, he's already influencing me for evil. No, stop. Now, please walk in a straight line. No, like towards the cross. Backwards. Come on, let's go, let's go. No, all right, all right, stop, stop, stop. Here, let's go this way. Jump, 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 jump. Stop. All right, now go five steps to my left. No, 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 here, try, try it this way. Instead of that, go five steps to your right. All right, you guys get the picture. Where are these guys going? No. Come on, man. Open your eyes. I'm taking this off. Give it up for your volunteers. All right. God had me wait for the one, right? My love. Until 
I was ready, which for me was like 30 years old. Long time. I did not wait alone during that time, which I am ashamed to say. I hurt people along the way. People hurt me along the way. It was not until my list was where it needed to be, Jesus first and I want someone to worship with, and until I was ready to be a blessing to that person and not just take from them. If you want to be in a relationship because your friends are, not the right reason. If you want to be in a relationship for what you can get out of it, not the right reason. So I had to wait 30 years because God knew I wasn't ready because I just wanted to take what I thought was best when all along he wanted to give me what was truly best. And when the main thing for me was the main thing, a Jesus-loving woman of God, I didn't just get someone to worship with, but I also got someone with an incredible sense of humor that was smart and supportive and kind and like stupid hot. So, oddly enough, all the things that were on my list, I also got too when my list was righted. So, asking God this past week which one of my tattoos to teach on, it was my wife that aptly said, you know, your tattoos were not the first verses that you wore. The first verses that you wore were our wedding verses, one on each of my ring fingers. This is my wedding ring. This is its friend, other ring. I don't know. And on them are inscribed my verse that God gave me on how to be a husband to Brooke, which is, second, uh, which is Song of Songs 2, 10 through 14. And then Brooke's verse for how to be a wife to me is on my other ring, which is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Today, I just want to share quickly our story of how we met and then how those verses have influenced our marriage. And I'm going to try and go fast. The year is 2005. It's January. My sister and her husband, a military man, are living in Monterey, California, and he is attending some sort of like spy school because he's goodwill hunting smart and he works as a Marine. So he's out there. And what had developed over, my, over time with my sister and I is that each time they got a new posting, I would go spend some time with them. And we would go and frolic and play and take pictures and whatever, and it was great. This year, January 2005, them living in Monterey, I went to see them. My sister is very um, organized, and she breaks out the day I arrive a Excel spreadsheet of here's everything we're going to see and do on its timeline. I'm so glad I'm not married to my sister for so many reasons. So, hey, just trying to keep it light. So, my sister has this Excel spreadsheet that says, we're doing this and this and this, and for whatever reason, we deviated from that list completely on the last day. We were supposed to go here, and instead we went here to Carmel, this picturesque, one of the most beautiful towns in America kind of place. It's so romantic and lovely, and just, if you've never been, go check it out. It's like a little dream town. And on Ocean Avenue, the main drive, we spend the day just kind of walking around and looking at stuff. And we find ourselves at the end of the day watching this magnificent sunset down at the beach. It's so romantic. There's my sister. There's her husband. And then I'm like, ah, hey guys, third wheel all the way. I had been with them all week, and they didn't really have any time to enjoy just each other. And there's this beautiful moment. I'm like, you know, I'm going to step away. And so I start walking up Ocean Avenue to enjoy so that they can enjoy their time. And I'm, you know, in no small way being like, I don't have anybody and there's this one shop, this gallery, 
of all these other ones that have already closed. It's open. The light's on. And inside, there's this piece of art in the window. Just looking at it, I'm like, there's no way I'll ever be able to afford that. But it just grabbed me. Have you ever seen something so beautiful, a piece of art maybe, that just grips you? That's how I felt. I was like on autopilot as I went inside this gallery to look at it. But it was what was behind the counter that really got my attention. Brooke was the only person in this gallery sitting behind this counter, and I'm like, oh, quick, think of something to talk about. What's up with this piece of art in the window? Here's a picture of it. It's by an artist. This is the gallery. And then I went inside. Here's the piece of art that had got my attention. It's this piece called Lean on Love by an artist named Mackenzie Thorpe. And he is famous for creating this little figure at the bottom called the duffel-coated child representing us and wearing this big duffel coat because life is hard and he's by himself because so much of life is alone and he's leaning on this stem with this instead of flower heart at the top. And so she says, what do you see when you look at this? And remember, I'm 30 years old. I have already accepted the fact that while my list consists only of someone to worship with, that I'm probably going to spend my life as Paul, unmarried, forever. So I look at this, and I start to describe, well, I see this sad, pathetic, lonely little guy all by himself, and then love is above him, out of reach forever, because that's where I was. And this beautiful, intelligent, just incredible woman begins to re-educate my heart by explaining, no, no, he's leaning on the promise that love will one day be available, will one day be in his reach. You are seeing this, but the opposite is true. No, love is there. It is available. He's leaning on it. He's hoping for it. And I'm like, oh, I like you. And you is pretty too. And she goes, you want to see another piece by this artist? And I say, yes. And so she shows me this next piece. It's this bronze tower. It's like four feet tall. And there's that little duffel-coated child sitting at the top looking down, and if you see that little speck, it's his heart, and it's clearly falling. And she says, this one's called falling in love. What do you see? I'm like, this guy's just done. He's just given up. He just chucked his heart into the abyss. It's never going to happen for him. I don't care about the flower guy. This guy, this is my guy. He's given up for sure. And she begins to re-educate my heart again by saying, no, this little guy has let go of all of his hopes and dreams for love, trusting that they're going to return to him, trusting that he's going to find what he's been waiting for. He's letting go of his idea of what it should look like and when it should happen, knowing in his heart it's going to come back. And I'm just like, oh. We talked for about five minutes. That was, about, that was it. And then my sister and her husband walk in. And they're like, it's time to go. Let's go. we got to go. And I'm like, and so we leave. And we're walking out, and she's like, I think she liked you. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for that, ruiner of love. But she was right. It was time to go because the next day I'm on a plane back to Texas. I don't live here. This is 2,000 miles away. How could this possibly work? And I get home, and I'm angry at God. Why would you have me meet someone so intelligent and interesting and beautiful so far from home? And she just could not, I could not get her out of my head. I even forced myself to like forget her name because I'm like, it's not going to happen. But a day went by and I couldn't stop thinking about her and I just made a deal with God, which I don't really advise, but I did. If I'm still thinking about her in a week, 
I'm going to write that gallery because I remember the name of the gallery. And I waited three whole days, and I wrote a letter to the gallery asking, does anybody know this chick? It's super cheesy, but do you want to hear my letter real quick? All right. It's super cheesy, so don't be like, oh, God. Keep it to yourself. Here's my letter to the Hanson Gallery, 2005, or six now, wasn't it? It was six. Thank you, my helper. I am looking for a young woman that I shared a conversation with last weekend regarding an artist that your gallery features named Mackenzie Thorpe. What a lie. My memory and I made an agreement to forget her name, but we have since decided to change our mind. I am writing with the hope of finding out more about this artist. Liar. And while the initial reader of this email may be perfectly qualified to respond, I would prefer only to speak to the woman with the rich mahogany mane, cheese, who said the most beautiful things about Mackenzie's piece, Lean on Love. It seems I cannot get her remarks out of my mind. One could say I'm infatuated. My name is Justin, and I can be reached at this address. Thank you for your time, and I pray my eccentricity left you smiling. Cheese. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. And when I hit send on that message, I again said to the Lord, if this is not of you, let that just disappear in the cosmos of the interwebs like I don't want to hear back unless this is who you have for me because that's how I'm feeling. And 24 hours go by and nothing, and I'm like, all right, fine. But the next day I wake up and there's a response in my inbox from Brooke. And she answers all my questions, and the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, that's not really what I want to know. And so I write her back, and then she writes me back. And I, I think on the third email just made it clear, yeah, I don't really care about that art that I can't afford I'm interested in you, and I know I'm in Texas and you're California, but <laughs> And she writes me back and says, yeah, I have a boyfriend of like two years. And I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do, because you're beautiful and you're amazing and you're wonderful, and who wouldn't in their right mind, not want to be with someone as incredible as you. And I said, I am so sorry. I am not that guy. I can't let myself be that guy. Um, you know, God bless you and good luck and, you know, lucky for that jerk. <laughs> and I let it go. And a day goes by and I check my inbox again. I live 2,000 miles from this woman. We've known each other for five minutes and a few emails. And she just says, the way that you write to me the way that you see me. So I dumped my boyfriend last night, and I want to see where this goes to. And I'm just like, what's happening right now? What's happening right now? And so I'm like, this is real. Like, this, I think I could marry this girl. She just dumped her boyfriend for two years from me? But I, remember, I haven't asked the main question yet. Um, thank you. This is amazing. I can't believe this. I have given my whole life to Jesus have you? And she said, yeah, not really. I grew up Catholic. Does that count? Like, I went to school. I had the socks. 
And I said, I, I, I can't be with somebody that's not totally committed to Jesus Christ. Like, it's not going to work. And so she was like, well, let's fix that. And she, this woman lets me disciple her over the phone. We start having Bible studies on the phone, night after night. She gives her whole life to Jesus for the sake of falling in love, leaning on love, waiting for and receiving this promise of love. And I'm like, this is real. This is legit. She's not just saying this to this guy she may never even see. She gave her life to Jesus all in, head first, all of herself. And I'm just like, this is it. Can I come visit you? Like, can I come back to California and see if this is real? Because remember, we've been in each other's company for five minutes. And she said, you're not coming to propose, are you? And I'm like, no, no, that'd be crazy. I knew that at the, a particular landmark in town where I said, okay, I know where this is. Let's meet there. There's a bench like in this area of this place called Lover's Point because, you know, why not? So we say, let's meet at like noon at Lover's Point. But when we meet, instead of like having a kiss or, you know, gushing over each other, can we, can we pray and thank God for our relationship or whatever it's going to be because it's clear like to us, he has brought us together. And she said, absolutely. And so we sit down on this bench at Lover's Point, facing the beach. And she meets me there. And <laughs> she looks so good. And we sit down, and I begin to pray over her and over our relationship. And in the prayer, I say, Jesus, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for this magnificent woman, and please help her to forgive me right now for lying to her because I am here to ask for her hand in marriage. And I pulled the ring out. And she said, yes. And so having only spent five minutes in each other's company, but being so sure in my heart, this is the woman that God made for me of the seven billion to spend my life with, I would have no problem proposing. And then we had the smooches. And they were dope. <laughs> and then I went to talk to her dad. And he was like, nope. <laughs> but I want him over. So, just for fun, there was also a weird thing that happened in that moment that I'll share because I already put the picture in. Here's a famous kind of quasi-celebrity called Naked Guy. And he was down on the beach the whole proposal. So that's always going to be in my mind. All right, next. We met on January 8th of 2006. I proposed on February 4th. We were married seven weeks later from the day that we met. That's how sure we knew this is God's will for us. Before the wedding ceremony, we sat down with God and we each asked for one scripture that God would give us, one for me to focus on the kind of husband to be, one for her to focus on what kind of wife to be, and that's what I want to close with today. My verse that God gave me to tell me how to be a good husband is Song of Songs 2, Beginning in verse 10, it's right here in my ring. I've been wearing it for almost 14 years. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling. The husband said to the wife, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come. And the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit. And the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, 
my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. This is my guiding light in my marriage of the kind of husband God calls me to be. Men, listen to me right now. This is what I want you to know about the kind of husband God wants you to start grooming yourself now to become the kind that will be a leader for his bride. You are men of God. You are created to be leaders, not just in your workplace or on your team, but in your marriage. You lead your wife well. She's God's daughter. Never take that for granted. And where do we lead these beautiful daughters of God that God wants to give us, that one perfect one, away from sadness, away from anything and everything shameful, depressing, painful. We lead them into seasons of singing, away from the winter of shame or past mistakes. We lead them forever and always towards Jesus Christ, the light of life. That is our job as husbands. Behaviors that do this are, number one, husbands and future husbands, you stay close to Jesus. You stay close to that one in that place that you are charged to lead your bride to. You speak words of life over her, not criticism, not complaint, which I struggle with so much and I'm so sorry for. You speak words of life over your bride. You be her biggest fan, her best encourager. You support her in what she's interested in, even if it costs you some of your dreams. Behaviors that do not do this, husbands and future husbands, is looking at other women. Even today, you have no idea who that future wife may be. If you are looking at other women with lust in your heart, you are doing your future wife a disservice as well as your marriage. We don't look at other women. We have eyes for Jesus and then the one that he presents. Preserve the marriage of your future by not looking at other women now. Other behaviors that don't do this are pressuring her to do anything that she's not ready, that she doesn't want to do. A good leader, a good husband doesn't pressure people to do what he wants. A good leader encourages, woos, attracts, even if it takes a lifetime. Women, God's verse for Brooke on how to be a good wife. Listen for how he might want to encourage you today for a takeaway. When I think of God's love, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And here is Brooke's prayer for me in our marriage. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Wives, the best thing you can do for your husband in your marriage and before it is to pray for them. I would say the same thing is true for you future husbands. What a gift you could give to yourself, your future marriage, and your future spouse if today you said, I'm going to start praying 
for my future spouse right now. And I'm going to pray for them every single day. What might happen in the life of your future spouse, wherever they're, whether they're in Korea or Nebraska or like right down the street in Conroe, if you start praying for them now, what kind of things might God do as a result of that? Are you praying for your future spouse's purity as much as you're praying for your own? Because that's huge. And God loves prayers like that. Pray for your husband and then know that you are charged, wives, to be his biggest fan, his greatest encourager. The Bible says, wives, respect your husbands. Respect them by encouraging them, not just on their good days, but especially on our bad days. If no one else in the world believes in me, but Brooke does, I can make it through. Encourage your husbands to keep their eyes on Jesus, to lean on him for the strength he's going to need to not just be a good man, but a great husband. Behaviors that do this, women, future wives, are stay close to Jesus. Stay close to him and press into him. And if you see a guy that you think might be it, ask him, Jesus, is it him? And if he says no, walk away. Behaviors that do this are be someone who speaks words of life over your husband's the way that he is to speak words of life over you. Encourage him. Affirm him. Speak boldness into him. Charge him. When I'm feeling low and Brooke just says, you can do this, makes all the difference in the world. And then wives, this one's tough. Let him lead you. Let him be the leader in the marriage. Not better than you, not more important, but God says that the, the responsibility for leading well and for failing to lead well is on the husband, so let him lead you. Have your say, share your opinion, but let him make the final decision. Behaviors that don't do this, don't point out your husband's failures, and believe me, there will be many. He's just a man. Don't point them out. Don't ride him for it. Don't remind him of it when you're mad. Man, that's just as true for guys. Don't tear him down and don't gossip about him, especially to your moms. We hate that. Um, those are my quick, simple tips, just some of what God has been encouraging Brooke and I toward in our marriage from these two verses, from Song of Songs and Ephesians 3. I hope and I pray something encouraged you today. If nothing else, remember this. Good things come to those who wait. There's no greater decision beside your decision to follow Jesus Christ than who you will be marrying. Wait well for that person. Wait well for that gift. Good things, the best things come from Jesus Christ to those who wait for him. I want to ask for you to bow your heads as I pray for you and the band comes forward so we can respond. Jesus, we thank you today I thank you for, for my story and, and the way it looks. And I know that each and every one of us in here, you want to give a story like that. Whether their engagement is shorter than ours or longer, there are testimonies waiting to be told in this room. And I pray today that because of today, that some of those testimonies would come a little closer and be a little purer. I pray that you would help my friends wait well for this gift that is so personal and so precious, the gift of sharing life with another human being, of sharing the power of with that person creating other human beings. May we be great forgivers in our marriages. 
May we be great encouragers. May we be great at looking at you and loving you, Jesus, more than each other, more than ourselves. Because Jesus, I love you, and Brooke loves you more than we love each other. There is yet to be anything that has come our way that has been too big for us. Because we love you more. Because we waited on you. I pray that that would be every single person in this room, that that would be their story. They fixed their eyes on you. They decided today, I will wait for you because I don't want just that one that's hot or that one that my friends pointed out. I want the one in the seven billion that you made for me. Good things come to those who wait. Help us be people that wait well. In Jesus' name, amen. 